0: All right, good morning, everybody. Do you have your Bible with you this morning? I hope you do, and I hope you'll open to Colossians chapter 2. And if you don't have a Bible with you, I hope that you'll grab one from rack close to you or snuggle up next to someone who has a Bible so you can follow along as we study God's Word together. In Colossians chapter 2, last week, we started our look at this section, which is going to take us three weeks to complete, verses 16 to 23 of chapter 2 told you that it's really kind of one big thought that flows out of the things we've seen over the last several weeks in Colossians, specifically things about the supremacy and sufficiency of Christ. I want to remind you once again of the importance of chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, where it says, For in him, that's Jesus, in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form, and in him you have been made complete. And he is the head over all rule and authority. One of the ways I've been saying it over the last few weeks is this. Jesus Christ has done it all. And in him, you are complete. There is nothing you can add beyond what he has done and what you have been given in him. And there is nothing more that you need than what he has done and what you have been given in him. In Christ, you are completely saved. Completely forgiven completely raised from the dead, completely victorious. The question is, are you in Christ? That's the question we want to wrestle with as we study through this. Am I in Christ? And are the benefits of being in Christ mine by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ? If so, if you would say, yes, I am in Christ, then we said last week, don't let anyone act as your judge in matters of food or festivals. And my nephew Noah was listening closely last week, Um, because, and I know this, because at lunch, uh, someone said, Noah, are you just eating bacon bits like straight out of the package? And he was, and he said, don't judge me because of what I eat. (laughs) So you can eat bacon bits straight out of the package if you want. Don't let anyone act as your judge in matters of food or festivals. So what we talked about last week we talked about this idea of legalism in fact we're going to see a a couple of isms over the next few weeks legalism and mysticism and asceticism that's what we'll talk about next week don't judge others we said last week because of diet or calendar and don't let others judge you because of diet or calendar but rather pursue God fight sin and delight in the unity that we experience even in our diversity as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ this week we're going to talk about mysticism. R. Kent Hughes has a good summary statement here where he says we can fall into legalism and its attendant self-righteousness, joylessness, and judgmentalism. We can succumb to mysticism and develop a proud elitist spirit that contributes nothing to true worship. We can get into asceticism thinking it will make us more holy when actually it will feed our flesh. So just like last week with legalism there is a real danger that we would get caught up in mysticism in the modern church, even here at First Baptist Church. We must be careful to cling to Christ, to trust in Christ, to depend on Christ. We must keep our focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, when I mention mysticism, I realize that there's a range of meaning for that word, even from the perspective of church history. If you're a student of church history, you'll know that there's a range of meaning for the word mysticism. So I want to narrow down what I mean by it. So when I talk about mysticism today and next week, this is what I mean by it. And I'll adopt John MacArthur's definition. It's on the screen. He says mysticism may be defined as the pursuit of a deeper or higher subjective religious experience. It is the belief that spiritual reality is perceived apart from human intellect and natural senses. It looks for truth internally internally weighing feelings, intuition, and other internal sensations more heavily than objective, observable, external data. Mysticism ultimately derives its authority from a self-actualized, self-authenticated light rising from within. This irrational and anti-intellectual approach is the antithesis of Christian theology. Now, if you, if you know much about John MacArthur, you know that that last bit, little bit is just his flavor of all things, Uh, very much direct and confrontational. In another place, he says it more simply. He says, mysticism is the idea that direct knowledge of God or ultimate reality is achieved through personal, subjective intuition or experience apart from or even contrary to historical fact or objective divine revelation. He notices also that today, this brand of mysticism is most commonly seen in the charismatic movement, where scripture is a distant second in importance To visions and revelation. That last bit is really, really what gets me. Is that scripture would ever become a distant second to anything in our lives. Whether it is visions, dreams, revelations of some sort. If scripture becomes a distant second, we're in big trouble. Big trouble. Another scholar named Arthur Johnson says this about mysticism. He says, when we speak of a mystical experience, we refer to an event that is completely within the person. It is totally subjective. A mystical experience is primarily an emotive event rather than a cognitive one. Its predominant qualities have more to do with emotional intensity or feeling tone rather than with facts elevated and understood rationally. Furthermore, it is from this emotional quality that another characteristic results, namely its self-authenticating nature. That's the second time we've seen that idea of self-authenticating nature. The mystic rarely questions the goodness and value of his experience. Consequently, if he describes it as giving him information, he rarely questions the truth of this newly gained knowledge. And that's a scary thing. If you or someone claim to have been given some kind of knowledge directly from God, it's it's nearly impossible to question that. Whereas if someone delivers the truth as revealed in God's word, everyone in the room questions it by studying it themselves and seeing it for themselves. So it is, it is that idea that I'm referring to when I talk about mysticism. Not the whole range of meaning of mysticism, but this particular brand of mysticism. And I think we will see as we move through the text today that this is part of the problem in Colossae. It's part of what Paul is dealing with in Colossae. And it's part of the problem that we face today the lure of mysticism is real for us today. And we encounter it. This is part of the struggle today is that in a room like this, we encounter it from different perspectives. Like even just talking about mysticism, even just reading through these definitions, some of you are like totally intrigued and like, oh, give me, give me more. Tell me more about this kind of stuff. And some of you are totally freaked out. What visions and dreams? I thought I came to the Baptist church today. Let's study God's word and see what he says about it. Colossians chapter 2. I'm going to read verses 16 to 23 because it's one big section, but we're going to pay careful attention to verse 18 and 19 today in our study. Colossians 2, 16 says, Therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day, things which are a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Verse 18 Let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement and the worship of angels, taking his stand on visions he has seen, inflated without cause by his fleshly mind and not holding fast to the head, from whom the entire body being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments grows with a growth which is from God. If you have died to the elementary principles of the world, why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees such as, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, which refer to things destined to perish with use, in accordance with the commandments and teachings of men. These are matters which have, to be sure, the appearance of wisdom in self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body, but are of no value against fleshly indulgence." Let's pray together. Father, we want to hold fast to the head of the body, the head of the church, the Savior of our souls, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we want to know that from him we receive all that we need for life and growth. So we pray that you will give us eyes to see things that would distract us for what they are mere shadows. And we pray that you would give us eyes to see Jesus for who he is, Lord, Savior, King, and the great treasure of our hearts. And we pray that you will help us respond to all of this with faith and obedience for your glory. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we'll work through these couple of verses. Uh, Pray that God will give us insight and understanding and help us apply um, directly to our lives. Look at verse 18 first part of verse 18, it says, let no one keep defrauding you of your prize. Some of your translations may say, let no one disqualify you. There are a couple of words in the passage today that are only used here in the entire New Testament, like only used one time in the entire New Testament, and it's right here. And sometimes it's difficult to determine exactly what words like that mean. Because we don't have other places to look in Paul's writings. We don't have other places to look in this letter. We don't have other places to look in the Bible to see how the word is used elsewhere. Now, outside the Bible, this word is used to describe a judge who makes a wrong ruling and therefore deprives someone of their rightful reward. Maybe maybe to bring it into a, a scenario that we can understand, in our day, it would be like an umpire or a referee who makes a terrible call in a big game and ends up costing one team the championship. Have we seen that happen? Yeah. If you Google that kind of scenario, you will find dozens of examples of this. Like one man makes a bad call and ruins the championship for a team. That's the picture here. That's the picture that's being painted. So Paul here is directing the Colossian believers, similar to how he did last week, don't let the false teachers, or in this text... A particular false teacher, you're going to notice maybe the singularity of the the person that he's talking about. Don't let a false teacher make a bad call by telling you that you lack something and thereby defraud you of your prize. So, So the overall theme of this week is very much the same as last week. Don't let them judge you. Don't let them act as your judge. And here he says, don't let them make a bad call. Don't let them make a bad call and defraud you of your prize. Now, I got all excited this week when I saw that some translations say disqualify you. Let let no one disqualify you. Because I remember back to earlier in the book where it talks about Jesus qualifying us. Right? He is the one who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. You remember that? And so I got all jazzed and said, uh, as if the text is saying, he qualifies us. Don't let them disqualify you, but it's a whole different word that's being used in this text than the earlier text, so I don't want to make that connection too strongly, but I think it's the same general idea. Now, like I said last week, though, about letting them, not letting them judge you for food or festivals, we can't stop a bad referee from making a bad call, right? You can't stop a bad umpire from making a bad call. You can't stop a bad judge from making a bad ruling, can you? You can't but you can stop it from ruining your life. And that's what we must do. We must not let someone who would say we are disqualified when we are truly qualified because of what God has done for us in Christ, we cannot let someone say we are disqualified and it ruin our lives. Plus, these self-appointed umpires, these self-appointed judges, aren't really judges at all. They aren't qualified themselves to be umpires. There's one umpire, and his name is the Lord Jesus Christ. There's one judge who will set everything right, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And if he has said, you're safe, you're safe. And no one could say, you're out. He says, let no one keep defrauding you of your prize. Let no one disqualify you by, the next phrase is, delighting in self-abasement. Now, the word that's translated by New American Standard as self-abasement is almost always translated everywhere else in the scriptures simply as humility. But here, he seems to be using it with a sense of sarcasm. He says, let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in humility. seems to be using it with some sarcasm. In fact, I think if Paul was speaking to us today, he would put air quotes around the word. Let no one keep defrauding you by their self-abasement. Because in the text, he's going to turn around in the next breath and say, they are inflated without cause. They are puffed up. They are actually quite proud. And even here, right in this text, he says, they delight in their self-abasement. They delight in their humility. The other day, Dylan was was telling us a story about his son, um, about humility and a, and a scene in a certain class here at the church I think where so so once you become a pastor's kid, you get picked on from the pulpit just so you know um, said that in a group they were talking about humility, and uh, leader the leader kind of asked a question who who thinks they're humble and and evidently Dylan's son kind of raised his hand like i'm like I'm totally humble That doesn't work that way, right <laughs> like once you well, <laughs> maybe once you raise your hand and like I'm the humble guy, humblest guy in town right here. You looking for the picture of humility? Look over here. Like that, that kind of ruins it. And it seems like that's part of what's going on with these leaders in Colossae. They delight in their humility. They delight in their self-abasement and are trying somehow, in a weird irony, to draw attention to their Humility. He says, let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement and the worship of angels. Now, here's where it gets interesting. What is he talking about when he talks about the worship of angels? Well, the way that the phrase is constructed, it can kind of go two different ways. First, it could mean that these false teachers are somehow directing their worship toward angels, like revering angels somehow, worshiping angels somehow. Now, there's not a lot of evidence for this in the history of the early church, but there was clearly some strange stuff going on in Colossae that Paul wanted to guard these people from. If this is the case, if they were worshiping angels, they're making a huge mistake. Like, Let's just nail that down right now. If they are worshiping angels, they are making a huge mistake because angels are worshipers. Of the one who sits on the throne and of the Lamb. In fact, there are some angels that seem to just fly around the throne of God all day, every day, worshiping him. Saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. They are worshipers and never to be worshipped. In fact, we see John make that mistake in Revelation twice. Twice. In the book of Revelation twice, as John is experiencing all of these things and seeing all of these things, two different times he starts to worship the angel who's telling him these things. Look at it in chapter 19. It'll be on the screen. Chapter 19, verse 9. It says, Then he said to me, and the he there is is this angel, He said to me, Write, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, 'These uh, These are true words of God. Then I fell at his feet to worship him. Right? John falls down to worship him. But he said to me, the angel said to me, don't do that. I am a fellow servant of yours and your brethren who holds the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. You catch that? So so when an angel gets worshipped, when someone tries to make the mistake of worshipping an angel, what's the angel say? Don't do that. Worship God. Look at chapter 22. Chapter 22, verse 8. I, John, and the one who heard and saw these things, and when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed me these things. Like, this is three chapters later. He's making the mistake again. He said to me, do not do that. I am a fellow servant of yours and of your brethren, the prophets, and those who heed the words of this book. Worship God. So maybe the church in Colossae was given to worshiping angels, similar to what John was tempted to do here. And if they are doing that, they are wrong because the angel will say, don't do that, worship God. So if someone, listen to this, if someone urges you to worship angels, don't do it. Don't do it. Worship God. On the one hand, it may be that they were directing their worship to angels. If so, that would be a huge mistake. It may be, though, that what's going on in this text is indicating that these false teachers are trying to worship like the angels. Like being caught up in the very presence of God, face-to-face with God, alongside the angels. Like that they were, they were saying, we have an experience in worship that is different from the normal Christian experience in worship and is more like what the angels experience in worship where we just get caught up and we see God face to face and we kind of fly around his throne and we sing holy, holy, holy. If this is the case, they are saying that their experience of worship, the experience of worship that the angels have is superior to the experience of worship that you and I could have. You catch the logic there? They would essentially be saying that what the angels do is superior to what you and I do when we worship God. And to that, I would say, fooey Because we worship God as those who have sinned against him, who only deserve his wrath and judgment, and yet have been redeemed by his grace through the death, burial, and resurrection of his son Jesus. We worship God as those who were his enemies, who have now been adopted into his family as his children. That is an experience that angels do not share. In fact, the scripture teaches in First in, uh, Peter that it's something that they look into like longingly. They look at this whole process of redemption of the gospel and its application in the lives of a sinner to redeem him and they look at it longingly like they don't experience that kind of redemption. And so I would argue that our experience of worship is superior to the angels' experience of worship. The good news of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone is something angels long to look into and have not experienced. So, if someone urges you towards some angel-like experience of worship, I would say don't settle for that. Don't settle for worshiping like the angels because you have been redeemed. And you worship from a perspective that angels cannot experience and have not experienced. And that worship, the worship of the redeemed, is superior, I believe. The worship of a redeemed sinner unto the Lord is superior to the worship of an angel who has not been redeemed. So he says, don't let them disqualify you by their false humility. Don't let them disqualify you in this worship of angels as if they've got something superior and you're a second-class citizen. And then he says this, taking his stand on visions he has seen. Some of you were a little antsy when we started talking about angel worship. Now you're super antsy. Visions and dreams, we're going to talk about this. Yes, we're going to talk about it. And I want to be as careful as I can when we talk about visions and dreams to make some things clear because I think even just the very mention of visions and dreams splits the crowd, splits the crowd in two. So first, let me say this. Visions and dreams are not a bad thing. Visions and dreams are not a bad thing. And not everyone who gets them is crazy. Visions and dreams are not a bad thing. And not everyone who gets them is crazy. If you get a vision, if you have a dream from the Lord, here are some things that you need to remember. First, you must make sure that that vision or dream is in accord with the word of God. You must make sure it's in accord with the word of God. If you get something in a dream that is in conflict with the the word of God, then that thing that you got in the dream did not come from God no matter how strongly you feel it, no no matter how it makes you feel, no matter how convinced you are that came from the Lord, if it is in opposition to his revealed word, it did not come from him. In fact, I would take that a step further and say, it came from the enemy. If it is in opposition to the revealed word of God, it did not come from God, but came from the enemy. So, When you get a vision or dream, if you get a vision or dream, you make sure it is in accord with the word of God. Number one. Number two, if you get a vision or dream, I think you should be reluctant to share it. Careful to share it. Careful to talk about it. Maybe uh, some of your translations say going on and on and on about visions and dreams. Going into great detail about visions and dreams rather than taking his stand upon visions and dreams. I think you should be reluctant to share it based on the Apostle Paul's experience. You know, he, he got caught up into the third heaven and saw things that words can't describe. And he only talks about it one time. He only shares about that experience one time. in all that he wrote, he only shared about it one time. And the one time he shared about it, you know what he said? I might know a guy who had an experience like this. Like He was super reluctant even to talk about it, and he never took his stand upon it. He never rested his weight upon it or flexed it as some kind of authoritative muscle that I have seen something that you have not seen, and therefore you must listen to me. No, no, no. He took his stand on the Word of God. He took his stand on the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where he rested his weight. Now, he had this experience, and it was good for him. But the Lord, right after that experience, also gave him a thorn in the flesh to keep him from getting proud about it, right? Keep him from getting puffed up. He kept him humble because the purpose of that vision or dream was not to puff Paul up. It was to encourage his heart in his service unto the Lord. So if you have a vision or dream, I think you should be reluctant to share it. Not, Not keep it a secret, not lock and key, but be careful with it because you could get puffed up. If you get a vision and dream, you should take your stand on the word of God. You must take your stand on the word of God and not the vision itself. If there is action to be taken, if you receive a vision or a dream and there is an action to be taken, if there is a truth to be communicated, then you communicate that truth and you take that action standing on the word of God so that everyone around you can see with clarity for themselves and not be held captive to you and your vision. Maybe to say it another way, beware, not dismissive, but beware when someone says, the Lord told me. The Lord showed me. In fact, in fact, when I hear that, I want to say, okay, show me. Show me that. Where did he say that to us in his word? Like not dismissing it outright, but being careful to go back to the Word of God. And so if if it's you who has received it, you've received something that is in accord with God's Word, you're being super careful with it, but you feel like action needs to be taken as a result of it, you feel like something needs to be communicated to other people as a result of it, don't communicate it standing on your vision, communicate it standing on the Word of God that is in accord with your vision. Does that make sense? Like, tell the people, look at what God has said, not let me tell you what he said to me. Look at what he has said to us, and let's examine it together, and let's act based on the truth of God's word. And finally, if you are one who receives visions and dreams, do not seek those things to the neglect of the word of God. Do not seek those kind of things to the neglect of God's word. Your experience in your dark closet will not exceed your experience of daily time in the word and in prayer. Don't let someone convince you that that's better. Don't let someone convince you that being in the dark room with your Bible on the other side of the house and just quiet before the Lord asking him to give you something, don't let someone convince you that that is better than spiritual discipline that that is better than reading God's word and memorizing it and meditating on it and studying it. Don't let someone convince you that that is better because those things that you get in the closet must be weighed against the revealed word, always. So let me say it like this. You want to hear from God? Open the book and read. You want to hear a word from the Lord? Open the book and read. You'll get it every time. you get it every time. You go to your closet and shut the door and turn out the lights? Maybe. Maybe. So first thing, visions and dreams are not a bad thing, and not everyone who gets them is crazy. Second thing is that visions and dreams are not the measure of maturity. Some of you hear this talk about visions and dreams, and you're like, that that doesn't happen. God God doesn't do that. And I want to say, the first part is, maybe he does, and when he does, this is how we need to handle it. Others of you have been intimidated by friends of yours who have received visions and dreams, and you have not, and they have somehow convinced you that you're on the JV team. Because you don't, you don't have these kind of experience, these kind of mystical, spectacular experience, and they've convinced you that you're on the JV team. You're not on the JV team. There's no JV team. <laughs> In the kingdom of God, there's no B team. Aren't you thankful for that? I hated playing JV. You got a different uniform. Had to sit in the worst part of the bus. It was no no good. There is no JV team with the Lord. Don't let someone intimidate you if you've never experienced these kind of things. And don't let someone convince you that dreams are greater than the Bible. Don't let them do that. Not greater than the Bible. Dick Lucas says it like this. He says, yet in our stupidity, we Christians have too often given credence to the words of those who claim to have had unusual visions of heavenly reality in preference to the testimony of Christ. What's stupid about that? It's that last part. It's not that we have given credence to someone who's had an unusual vision. What's stupid would be to give credence to that in preference to the testimony of Christ? That's dumb. I said stupid one time in Mississippi, and someone said, Oh, he said the S word. That's, that's Richard Lucas who said it, not me. For example, I want to make reference to this whole recent phenomenon of people going to heaven, coming back, writing a book about it, making a movie. Do you believe heaven is real? I do. I am 100% convinced that heaven is real. Why? Because some guy I've never met supposedly went there and saw it and came back and wrote a book about it or because the word of God says so. It is because the word of God says so that I believe heaven is real. I don't know what to do with that other stuff, but I know the Bible speaks clearly about that and so I'm totally convinced. I don't need a guy to write a book. I don't need another, I don't need another book. I don't need another book to tell me That heaven is real. Let's take our stand on the word of God. Let's plant our feet on the word of God. He says, don't let them disqualify you by delighting in self-abasement, the worship of angels, taking stand on visions he has seen, inflated without cause by his fleshly mind. This is obviously connected to all the rest we've seen. Rather than true humility, what's going on here with the false teacher is massive pride. That word pride, that word to be puffed up or inflated, is one of Paul's favorite terms. He uses it all throughout 1 Corinthians. These visions and dreams, these mystical experiences, tend to put one person in the spotlight. Tend to put one person in the spotlight. And this can easily be used to manipulate and intimidate other people. It is super hard to argue with, the Lord told me. The Lord showed me. When there's no place to go to verify it. Verse 19, though, really ratchets up the weight. Look at verse 19. It says, and not holding fast to the head from whom the entire body being supplied and held together by joints and ligaments grows with a growth which is from God. This is the major problem. And it is completely ironic. These false teachers claim that they have found a way to a deeper, fuller, better experience with Jesus. They claim to have tapped into some secret method for dynamic growth. But Paul says, in doing so, they've actually moved away from Jesus. More so, in distancing themselves from Christ, they remove themselves from the benefits of being connected to him. He says, he is the head from whom all the sustenance for growth... Comes, Therefore, we must not forsake, must not forsake the simple sitting at the feet of Jesus under the clear teaching of the word of God for the pursuit of spectacular, exciting, mystical experience. To say it another way, simple study, simple prayer, simple worship is not minor league Christianity. It's not minor league Christianity. Reed was talking about this this morning. He's like, "There's not next level. Don't don't look to level up. If you are communing with Christ, amongst His people, in His Word and in prayer, like what? Where do you think you could go from there? That would be better." Mark Maynell makes this helpful observation. He says. That this could happen in Colossae, literally just a few years after Jesus walked the earth, means that we should never be surprised that it can happen in our generation. It is a salutary warning for us all. We need this warning. We need this warning, especially with growing popular charismatic movements like what is happening in California with Bethel Church. We need this warning not to be intimidated. We need the reminder that in Christ, we are made complete. We're not JV. Now, I am not saying in all of this, I am not saying that experiences like this are not ever given. What I'm saying is that they're not the norm and they must not be pursued to the neglect of the obvious means of grace God has given to us. Obvious means of grace, like reading your Bible and praying and gathering together with God's people. And I am saying, along with this text, we must not let anyone disqualify us if we've not experienced these things. Because in him, we've been made complete. In fact, that's the first bit of application today. If you are in Christ, you are really, truly, profoundly connected with him. Fully connected with him. There's not a next level of being in Christ. If you are in him... There is not a deeper experience that you should pursue. Therefore, abide in him. Don't go looking for something else. Abide in him. Don't let anyone convince you you're missing out on something. Just abide in Christ. But all of this is contingent upon whether or not you're in him. So I'll ask it again. Are you in him? Are you in Christ? How does one come to be in Christ? By grace, through faith, in Christ. By repentance and faith. By the power of the gospel, we come to be in Christ. We who are sinful and rebellious and deserving only of God's wrath can be brought into Christ by trusting that Jesus died for our sins and rose again and that there is salvation in no one else. We are brought into Christ by resting our whole weight on the Lord Jesus Christ and walking toward him in faithfulness. If you are in Christ, you are truly, profoundly, fully connected to him. Are you in Christ? That's the first application. Number two, worship God. Not angels. Worship God. As a redeemed sinner who's been adopted into the family, worship God. Don't let anyone sell you short. If you worship angels, angels are JV, I would say. Don't worship them. Lastly, Visions and dreams are not a bad thing. Not everyone who gets them is crazy. If you get one, or talk to someone who has, make sure it's in accord with the Word of God. Be slow to share it. Take your stand on the Word, not the vision. And don't seek those things to the neglect of God's Word. Mark Maynell says it like this. This is not to say that we should dismiss the possibility of extraordinary spiritual experience outright. We shouldn't. The Lord can very graciously give his followers special moments, perhaps at times of crisis or conversion. Yet they are not the norm, nor something that we should especially strive to experience. Nor should they be the focus of our testimony because it is rarely helpful to delve into the details of a unique experience. Far better to glory in what God has done in Christ for all. Amen to that. Like have your experience. I don't want to I don't want pour cold water on that personal experience but when we're together let's glory in what god has done for all of us in christ he has died for us he's redeemed us he's adopted us he's reconciled us he's forgiven us he's made us into his children celebrate that when we're together not a bad thing not everybody gets them crazy but they are not the measure of maturity it's the very last thing today Don't let anyone intimidate you if you've never experienced something like that. And don't let someone convince you that dreams are better than the Bible. Don't let someone convince you you are the JV team. Worship God as his redeemed people. Let's stand together and pray. Father, we're thankful for time together. Pray that as we move on from here that we will continue to learn, continue to submit to your word, Help us to think through these things in a world full of competition and distraction even. Help us to keep our eyes focused on Christ, to cling to the head, to hold fast to Jesus, knowing that from him the whole body is supplied, it's all held together, and grows. Forgive us when we turn from Christ to other things that only puff us up. Show us the face of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.